you'll repeat after me on this one. Say, Lord Jesus, expand the territory of my heart to receive more of your love. Amen. You guys keep doing your thing over there. That's awesome. So my dad told me one time, I think I was like freshman or sophomore year of college. I don't know if you remember this, but he said, man, son, I'm so glad the Lord got you early. And I was, he's like, he met you. You know, I was at youth camp. I was 15 years old, and, and uh, I really just met the Lord. I mean, it just was, it was wild. I, uh, <laughs> I just met Jesus, and it seemed like the natural thing to do to surrender everything I had. <laughs> That's what happens when you see him. You're like, oh. The correct response, oh, oh, you know, just this, it's very natural um, when you see him right, rightfully, when you just, when he reveals himself. It's not like I did anything for that. I was trying to flirt with girls at youth camp that didn't like me anyways, and I, but man, he came through pretty clutch and revealed himself, and uh, it just seemed like the right thing to do to give him my life. So four or five years later, dad's like, you know, I'm just glad he met you when he did at 15, I was like, well, yeah, me too. He's like, no, we're really glad. Me and your mother are very glad. I was like, well, why? He's like, because, you know, we didn't know if you are going to be the next leaders of Hell's Angels or what. <laughs> you know, like, I've always just kind of had this, um, you know, twinge in me towards, uh, towards rebellion, honestly. Towards, uh, I wouldn't say anarchy. That's a bit too far. But, but towards rebellion. <laughs> right? No law in this town. <laughs> you tell them I'm coming and hell's coming with me. Anybody seen Tombstone? Anybody? Yeah, that's one of my favorite movies. Anyway, so no, I wasn't like, I didn't do a lot. Of, I didn't do anything bad. I just was a rebellious youth grouper. You know, that's who I was. And so I, um, I went, you know, people are always like, man, I had, a, I had a kid one time on a mission trip in Belize. I was leading. He said, man, can you just talk to me, man? I've got, I've got some friends at school who are doing, like, hard drugs, and I just, I know your testimony can really relate, man. <laughs> I'm just, like, the most religiousized youth group kid, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, man, I, on the back of the bus on the way to Winter Jam, I was flirting hard. <laughs> so, anyways, I, uh, you know, when a, when a rebellious son finds covering, then he just becomes a radical disciple. You know, the life, the life changes. Rebellion is actually passion. It's just misplaced. Rebellion is passion that has no trust. You know, when you've got trust, when a person who's rebellion finds that not only they can be trusted, but others can be trusted, you just find passion. You're like, oh, this was just passion. I was just sad. I was just hurt. That's why I turned my passion into rebellion. Because I, I was just mad. I was hurt. I was sad. When that person finds healing, oh, then it just becomes passion. Then it's just enthusiasm. Then it's just like this wild bronco under the Lord's reins. You're like, yes, let's go. Let's go. God, sign me up. I don't care. Let's go. You know, that's what happens. That's the testimony of a bazillion rebellious sons in the kingdom of God who found a father. So this morning, I'm super excited to share with you guys. Uh, what time is it? I talk a lot. Good. All right. So. I'm really excited to share. This message is amazing. It's not mine. It's one that God taught me. So it's amazing, I promise you. It's life-changing. Um, 
I entitled it, We Must Know Him, because that is the absolute truth. This moment up here uh, where we're praying and, and really believing for breakthrough, that's not because, uh, for one of many things, that's not because we're anointed, other than as sons of God, we certainly carry the holy deposit of God. That's not because, uh, well, we never said this word, but other people call us a charismatic church. That's not why we do that. Um, we do that because literally we know God delivers on that with a walking testimony. It's like, I don't do that because I'm like teaching today and I'm a pastor. I do that because God delivered me from depression that was horrible. I know him. I know he does that. I know that when you believe in faith, when you confess your sins to one another, that he is faithful to forgive. I know it. I know it. I didn't read. I know it. He did it. I'm the testimony. He did it. That's why we get up here. That's why we believe. That's why we reach out in faith and do that. Not because we're supposed to. It's not obligatory. It's because we know him. We trust him. And all these, you see these people got to be up. I've been delivered. Yep, yep. Watch out, watch out. I've been delivered. They know. They know. Because they were in a place that they couldn't get themselves out of. That's what deliverance looks like. You're in a spot where you can't do anything about it. And you've tried, and it sucks. You can't move yourself out of that place. That's why God's above everything. That's why he's all powerful. He does it. He really does it. So it's actually great if you stop trying to do it, because then it leaves room for God to actually do it. So I would, I would encourage you, if you're in this morning, whether you got up here or not, and you're in bondage, or you got a stronghold, or you're battling depression on and off, or you got night terrors or anything, just stop trying to battle it. Just quit, and God will fix it. Really, just believe God. Say, God, I can't do anything about this. I just got to go to bed. Come on. I believe. I've seen it. I've seen it so many times. I'm the walking testimony of that. And I know a lot of other people, too, that are that. So where's my clicker? Did I lose them already? All right. So let's dive in. This is meaty. John 17, 3. If anybody knows what a Bible is, millennials represent, feel free to pull that out. Or your cell phone. That's a solid choice, too. My dad said something really funny this morning. He said, you know, I was listening to the radio the other day. And well, you, know, I, I, you didn't know this was funny. I just thought it was funny to myself. But now you know it's funny. Hey, uh, he said, I was on the radio the other day, and there's this guy I really like who speaks. And he said, you know, you can always, man, just tell somebody who loves God because you just see a war-torn Bible. You see it's so aged and, and torn. I was like, well, I don't know. Our, our cell phones get beat up, I guess, because, you know, the millennial generation is like, please, own Bibles. They're very valuable. Our, it's helpful that they're on our cell phones, but please, own a Bible. All right? John 17, 3. Anybody know what happens? You don't have to say it out loud, but just in general, does anybody know what happens in the last couple chapters of John? What's happening leading up to this moment? Lots of crazy stuff. I love the book of John. Easy to say, right? John's like this amazing, romantic, bromantic, emotional gospel. It's really amazing. Um, Leading up to this, lots of things. Last Supper, um, Judas being called out, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. On, oh, he's teaching them on and on and on and on. He's teaching them. And he says, in Scripture, they, they call this the high priestly prayer. We know that we've been made a royal priesthood under Christ, under the new covenant. But Jesus says this. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you. He's essentially saying, here's what I came here for. This is what I'm doing. This is, this is why I'm here. This is one of the ways he says it. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, 
and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. One of my friends asked me years and years ago, um, it's actually old Andy McClure, asked me years and years ago, he said, hey man, if you get to heaven and it's just Jesus, are you disappointed? And I was like, well, that's a really weird question, and I feel put on the spot to say the correct religious answer. And that was not Andrew's fault. That's who I used to be. <laughs> that was my fault. <laughs> but anyways, I thought about it, and I was like, well, yo, that's a really good point. I mean, eternal life is essentially just complete adoration of, of God. They don't even need lights in heaven because the light of the Lord Jesus illuminates everything. I mean, he's everywhere, and it's all about him, you know? And I was like, wow, yeah, that is eternal. Oh, that's biblical. It is eternal life to know God. Okay. That's how, you know, that's how it used to be a lot of times. Like, man, if there's not a direct word-for-word -word scripture, get out of here, Satan. You know? <laughs> no. Anyways, that's, not, that's another talk for another day. But I, uh, I love that Jesus says that, that he literally describes eternal life as knowing God, knowing the Father, and knowing the Christ is equivalent to eternal life. We're going to get into that. Eternal life starts now. A.W. Tozer, great theologian, very famous quote in his book, um, The Knowledge of the Holy. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Usually that's the quote. I love what he says later after that. It's, it's very true. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. So I want to read that again because it's kind of like, you know, intellectual. So I need to read it twice. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend, uh-oh. Nice. My man. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. All right? Somebody who's got a Bible, who's got Psalm 115. Gregory, stand up and read that, 1 through 10. Thanks be to God. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but they do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. We have a saying around here that essentially sums up Psalm 115. Idols are deaf, dumb, and mute. And those who worship them become like them. It's straight out of Psalm 115. That's what essentially that just said. And then it encouraged the people of God to trust in God. We say this also as you become what you behold. And this is absolutely true in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, and we all, this is actually the glory to glory verse. Right? You always see that glory to glory? You know, from glory to glory, God's taking us from glory to glory. I didn't hear it the first like 22 years of my life. But then once I met Holy Ghost and started trying to find churches, I heard it like all the time. So... And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, clearly, if you just do a little bit of English here, 
we are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. So that's where the glory to glory part comes from. How does that happen? With unveiled face, we're beholding the glory of the Lord. We are transformed as we behold the glory of the Lord. In the same sense, when we behold idols, we are transformed into the idol. It's the same principle, just in the spirit or in the flesh. Which way do you want it? You behold the glory of God, you move from glory to glory to become like Christ. You behold an idol, you become like it, deaf, dumb, and mute, numb to the spirit of God. That's what happens. I mean, check it in any part of our lives. If there's anything, I know looking back on my life, when there's been seasons of my life where I raised up something above my pursuit, and my de- even my desire, it kind of numbed me up. Let me be clear. I'm not against Netflix. I'm not against video games. I like both of those. I'm not against uh, this little Bulldogs 247 thing that I read all the time. But there have been seasons of my life where God's like, you need to cut that out. I need more of your time. I need more of your minutes right now. And when I didn't, it numbed me up. It wasn't a punishment. It's like a principle. It happens. You become what you behold. God wasn't punishing me for not doing correctly. You become what you behold. If I'm beholding myself unto whatever thing that I'm putting before the Lord, I just, I kind of become a little insensitive to the Spirit of God. I don't, I don't pick up on things as quickly. I don't, I don't sense what He's doing as quickly. My perspective gets very jacked up, you know? We must, we must look to God. We must seek Him. We must know Him. We must. That is how we are transformed from one glory to another. It's by beholding His glory. God desires worshipers who do so in spirit and truth. That's John 4, 24. How do you recognize a counterfeit in anything? How do you recognize a counterfeit? One way, I think, is a very strong way, is by knowing the original. If you don't know the original, how do you acutely recognize the counterfeit? Right? So even in the kingdom, there are many counterfeits. Um, Two things that are in the kingdom. You know, there are counterfeit gifts to the Holy Spirit. There are counterfeit teachers. There are counterfeit ways. There are, in our culture especially, of moral relativism, there is a mass deception and a mass um, counterfeit that's happening. You know, people want to get you into these emotional, trying to reason and, and give empathy when the truth of God is the truth of God, you know? You know, it's so, it's so hard. We as a generation have to learn how to befriend and love well the homosexual community. We must learn because it still remains true that a homosexual lifestyle is sin. It will never not be sin. It will always be sin. Even if that offends me or bothers some part of me, I don't change my perspective. I don't, excuse me, I don't change the Word of God based on my perspective. I change my perspective based on the Word of God. So no, we don't have to sit out there and hold signs up that are full of hate. We must learn how to minister and love and befriend well the homosexual community. We must. We have to do it. But it will never not be a sin. You know, we live in a world where they they want to rope you into these things. 
that are so soulish, they're so fleshy. You know, it's just the truth of God is this. And the problem is that we as the church, as the representatives of God, have so poorly demonstrated who God is that we have put ourselves in enmity with the homosexual community, which is super broken. We must learn. We must take up the burden. We must learn how to do this. We must learn. We must know him. We must have his wisdom. We must have his insight. These are huge pressing matters in our culture. And we're not going to stand silent. You know, one of the things that I love, if you guys are coming, please, next week, come with us to Hill Chapel. Come to the Fall Festival. The Lord has been breaking ground and tearing down racially divided areas. We are predominantly white church, not by choice. They are predominantly black church, not by choice. We desire for streams to come together. We want that so bad. Previously, in generations before, the church stood silent while our black brothers and sisters were oppressed. We will not stand silent. We cannot stand silent. All right? We are not silent bystanders. We believe as a house, we are the delta force of God. We're not just, we don't just value, we're going in. We're boots on the ground, okay? Whether that's with, with any issue, with any tension in our nation, we're not bystanders, all right? We're not neutral. We have the love of God. We change stuff. How do you understand any creation? Well, again, understand the creator. It's so important to know God. You can recognize counterfeits. It's so important to know him because you can understand anything that he's made more clearly in the context of knowing him. It changes it. It changes our whole view. I'm kind of sprinting through this because i got a part that I really want to get to. Can you know the truth about anything, right, <laughs> without knowing him? Can you really know truth? Can you know truth without knowing him? I say no, clearly. Just to be clear, scripturally, John 14, 6, truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Truth is a person. You want truth, seek Jesus. Jesus is the perfect picture of God, Hebrews 1, 3. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is who Jesus is, all right? So here's what I really want to get to this morning. I just want to be clear with y'all. Some of you guys know my story. We're friends, or I'm just outgoing, and you probably heard me sharing sometime. Um, I didn't grow up in a world like this. The things that I've learned about the Holy Spirit and the supernatural and, and whatever else comes in that, Travis and Jessica did not teach me. They shepherded me. They have helped me separate wheat and chaff, good and bad, things of God and not things of God, counterfeits and the real deal. But God himself taught me these things. That is my testimony. I was not taught. I did not hear Travis speak and say, man, I want to be like this guy. Let me copy all this stuff. I actually, first time I heard Travis speak, I told him he needed more Bible verses on the board. And he, whatever, you know, I just like wasn't feeling it. I said, you know, I just think you're power hungry, bro. And then he made a great retort that silenced me uh, in a very gracious way. And I said, see you later, buddy. <laughs> And so they did not teach me these things. This is not a product of Travis and Jessica Gay. 
This is a product of Jesse Pilkington's relationship with God, and not even honestly something that I pursued. God himself poured out. He poured out. He started to move and do things that were unexpected, that I did not understand. But they taught me about him. They taught me about his character. And then we prayed. We said, God, please send us someone to help us understand this. So, I love the supernatural. All right? I, I grew up in a very conservative, um, rich, white, southern church. That's what I grew up in. I love the supernatural so much. Why? Because it teaches my heart to know that God is above the natural. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the name above all names. When God does something, when the Spirit of God moves and does something supernatural, it's his character that I'm seeing. That's what stays. In Scripture, it clearly says that people will arrive at the pearly gates and they will say, but we cast out demons in your name. We, you know, give this litany of stuff they did, their spiritual resume in what they perceive to be the Holy Ghost. And they will say, Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. It's not about moving in the supernatural. We desire it. We want it. I want to be used in that way. I want to see people healed. I want to see people get prophetic words over their life. I want people to sing and speak in the spirit. I love that. But the supernatural is valid and concrete to the believer because it reminds you of the character of God. He is above the natural. We are experiencing the supernatural. He is supernatural. He's the name above all names. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the definition of super, superior to the natural. That's him, all right? The supernatural movements of God are actually the manifestation of the character of God. When you see something happen that's the real deal, it's the manifestation of his character. All right, let me give you some examples. I'll get back to that. God saves sins and saves souls, even sins revival. So he saves people, very supernatural thing. Sins revival, very supernatural thing. Well, Scripture says that he desires that none should perish. That's who he is. That's why he saves people. He wants people to get saved. He wants people to know him. He didn't want heaven without us, right? That's, what, that's why he saves people. That's why he sends revival, because it's his character. He wants people to know him. He wants no one to perish. God heals the sick. I love when God heals the sick. It's so weird for people sometimes. It's so hard because they didn't heal this person or that person. You know, it's like, well, God, we prayed so hard, and they still died. I love that part of God's character is that he is a healer. That's who he is. It's not, it's not a charismatic thing. I don't care about that. God heals the sick. His name is Jehovah Rapha. That's who he is. Regardless of any healing ministry or healings you've seen or haven't seen, this is who our God in the Bible says who he is. He reveals himself in many names. It tells you about his character. It tells you something about him. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord heals. It's like if I go up to you and say, hey, man, my name's Jesse. And you're like, no, nah, no, it's not. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm Jesse. It's nice to meet you. And it's like, no, nah, man, Jesse's I met before. People told me about Jesse. I'm like, my name is Jesse. If you don't like that, I'm sorry. This is who I am. This is who God says he is. 
God says that he's a healer. So if you got problems with healing, take them up with God. But that's who he is. If we don't see a healing for the next year, that's who he is. He's still a healer. That's his character. And when we see it, it's not because someone's so anointed. It's because it's the manifestation of his character. He's a healer. He loves to heal. All right? God answers desperate prayers with dramatic fashion. Anybody ever seen that in their life? You had some desperate prayer, and then God did some crazy thing where it's like all this timing stuff lines up, and by the end of it, you're just like, you know, jaw on the floor. Like, God is so cool. You know, that was so crazy. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Well, he literally told us to pray as though we'd already received it. He told us to pray expectantly. You know, maybe we wouldn't have our jaws on the floor so much if we expected him to be who he says he is. You know, be like, oh, yeah, this is, this is how God rolls, man. And of course he does that. It's like, oh, you need this? Yeah, give it a week, man. Psh. You know, that's, that's how God is. And he tells us, I'm this way. Pray as though you've already received it. If you're a son or daughter of God, pray as though you already got it. You know, he's a provider. This, this is awesome. So very, very supernatural thing, the gospel. God sent he who knew no sin to become sin. That is a whole cosmic, interstellar, big deal. Jesus from heaven, taking on the body of a man, not just dying for sin, becoming sin, taking on our sin, bearing the weight of it. Very, very supernatural. Why? Because he loves us. Scripture says very clearly in John 3.16 that he loved this world so much that he did that. He sent that thing into order. He sent that cosmic shift into action. So next time you see something that happens supernaturally, look at it and say, what, God, what, do you, what are you like? What does this show me about who you are? All right, I have this amazing story from, um, if you've ever read um, any of Heidi Baker and Roland Baker's books, they have a couple in a row There's like, there's always enough, um, expecting miracles, there's another one. Anyways, they just are chronically telling the story of Iris Ministries in Pimba, which a lot of our friends have gone there and spent time at the Harvest Mission School, just a very well-respected and grounded ministry in the Holy Spirit. They're, they just they laid down lovers for Jesus. There was this intern who's writing an excerpt in this book, and she is explaining this thing that happened. Now, what I'm about to tell you is offensive to the mind. So if you have offense possibilities, you will surely get offended. Just disclaimer. Um, this intern who's working for Iris and just talking about how, you know, the summer's going and they love it and that she'd been there for a while. Um, I don't know what time of year it was, but they were celebrating Christmas. They're celebrating Christmas and they had gotten donations and they asked for hand-me-down teddy bears, all right? And so this girl had helped put all these teddy bears in these bags and all the Mozambican children are coming up, and, um, you know, they're all getting to reach in and get a teddy bear. You know, they don't care that it's hand-me-down. Hand it's like a teddy bear. Merry Christmas, you know. This is awesome. They're orphans. This is amazing. So they're reaching in, getting a teddy bear, reaching in, getting a teddy bear. And this girl's, like, holding the bag. She's just, you know, had put them in the bag and was watching this whole thing play out. Heidi Baker leans down and says, hey, little girl, what do you want? And this, this intern, this girl is there is like, that is so dumb. What are you doing? What are you doing? 
unless this girl says a hand-me-down teddy bear, you know, we're in big trouble. You just asked a child who has an amazing imagination whatever she wants, right? And the girl had put the teddy bears in the bag. She, she made the bag. Anyway, she said, what do you want, sweetheart? And the girl says, a pearl necklace. And then the girl's like, Heidi, this is so dumb. And she's not going to say that to Heidi Baker, but she's just thinking, this is very, very dumb. Heidi said, well, let's ask Jesus. Say, Jesus, we want a pearl necklace. So they asked Jesus. Girl reaches in the bag, pulls out a pearl necklace. <laughs> pulls out. A per- the, the intern had put the teddy bears in the bag. There was not like, obviously, the intern is shocked. She's like, you know, really? I mean, this is like, and this is a Christ follower. This is somebody who's like at Harvest Mission School who like totally believes in the function of the Holy Spirit. And she's shocked. She goes on to write that she just didn't know that God was like that. It wasn't even about the pearls. It was the fact that like, God, you, that's not fair. You, all these other little kids didn't get pearls, but for whatever reason, you, you heard the cry of this little girl's heart. And you made a creative miracle happen right here in a bag that I stuffed with raggedy teddy bears. What does that say about God? Not that he can make pearls appear. He can make anything appear. It's that he is so intentional. He is with the poor. He loves children. He loves to provide. Those are four things off the top of my head. There are probably 50 things that that moment taught that intern about the heart of God. That's what sticks. It's not the pearls. That's like wild and fun to tell. But the thing that sticks in her heart is that she saw the character of God, the true character of God. It's like, wow, that's what a father does. A father loves to give a special gift. A father loves to dote on their child when they're, you know, more than they should extravagantly. And she learned that about God that day. It's not something she read in one of Heidi's books. You know, she's like, watch God do it. It was amazing. I'm sure it changed that girl's life. Another thing, I love the prophetic so some of you guys may um, be familiar or unfamiliar with gift of prophecy, prophetic ministry, you know, whatever happens, you know. There's a, whole, there's a whole area. I love it. I love it. You know, a lot of times people, I actually was reading and I was studying for this. I read an amazing sermon by John Piper um, about the prophetic and how he believes that biblically the gift of prophecy and the prophetic should still exist in the church at large but that it doesn't necessarily exist in his, but biblically he can't make an argument for why it shouldn't be there. He says the issue is that people feel like, man, maybe there's like, how are you hearing from God, but yet it's not perfect? How are you hearing from God, but yet it's infallible? Well, how am I teaching on the perspective of the Bible, but it's not perfect? You know, how are you serving down the street at our homeless outreach, but it's not perfect? We... As Christ followers in this temple, in these jars of clay, we do not represent the Father perfectly, but you can learn to hear His voice, and you can learn to follow His leading, and it will change your life. And I don't care what they call it. I don't care if they call it listening prayer, prophetic ministry, something way more conservative or something kooky and way charismatic. I don't care. I want to hear God's voice. 
I want to follow his voice. I want to listen. I want to, when I'm praying, I want God to give me insight where to pray and how to pray, not just so the person will feel connected. I believe that God will change something in them. I want to be inscribed with Holy Spirit. It's like if Holy Spirit is, you know, constantly praying and interceding, like, I want to be inscribed with that. You know, it's not like God's disappointed if I don't hear from him when I'm praying for somebody. But why wouldn't you want to hear from God? Why wouldn't you want to hear the, the voice of God in your life? You know? So I love the prophetic. I love it because it teaches my heart about the prophetic nature of God. All right? These are a couple of things off the top of my head. That there's many, many more. God literally spoke the stars into existence. Very prophetic. He spoke through the prophets. He spoke through the New Testament writers. The God calendar, all the feasts that we study, all the Hebrew root stuff and how, like, they all represent future events and half have been completed and, and half haven't. If you miss Sukkot, next time we do, like, a, a Jewish root study and a festival, don't miss it. Don't miss it. It totally widens your paradigm and your perspective of the gospel. God's got all these things in play in the cosmos, right? He's crazy prophetic. Everything he does is prophetic. All these choices that he made, choosing Israel, the way that all things line up on his timeline and his calendar, you know, all this stuff up there, we call it the prophetic. God is prophetic. Everything he does, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If you are uncomfortable with the prophetic, take it up with God. If you're uncomfortable with the way someone administers in the prophetic, okay, I can buy that. But if you're uncomfortable with that being part of his nature, you, you got to take that up with God. It's a very clear and very biblical thing, you know. So we believe in that, and I love it because it teaches me about more about who God is. I don't have to be the, like, you know, give these crazy prophetic words. I don't care. But I want to know about God. I want to I be like what he's like. If he's prophetic, then all right. I'm down. I don't, you know, I don't really know what that, I remember I told um, some of you old Wesley folks know Gina Towson. She used to be Gina Tamboli. I grew up with Gina Towson. Went to high school together. She was actually my seventh grade girlfriend. And uh, yeah, she dumped me after three days. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of game, obviously. And then she dated my best friend <laughs> in high school. It was whatever. It was whatever. Sweet Gina. So I love that girl. She was like, the director of the prophetic encouragement time stuff at Wesley when I just started to encounter the prophetic. I remember I told her, I was like, Gina, how can, how can, how can this happen and it not be perfect? She's like, Jesse, there's going to come a time where you try to say something to someone or share something and you're wrong. And I was like, no, no, it can't, can't be. Cannot. I argued with her. This girl's like literally directing a whole ministry that's like, you know, doing it. I'm just like, I accidentally prophesied one time, and now I like, this is what everything I think about it. You know, that would, I wasn't coming from much credentials there. But this is who God is. He's this way. If you're uncomfortable with it, all right, fair enough. I was very, very much so. But as I've learned him, I've learned that it's trustworthy because he's like this. He does this stuff all over Scripture. That's why I want people to get prophetic words. A lot of Sundays we'll say, hey, if you want a prophetic word, come forward. It's not so that you can get a prophetic word so much as it is you can know God loves you. 
You can see how much God sees you and loves you and desires relationship with you. I don't want to give you prophetic words. You can, like, go home and write, hey, man, I got a prophetic word. Like, I'm more spiritual. Definitely not. You know, like, I want you to know that you're loved. I want you to know that God sees and he speaks and he's alive and he's reigning and he's the king. That's why I want people to come get prophetic words. Who cares if they're prophetic words? I just want you to know that God loves you. We believe in that because we know it's the character of God. We see him move. That's why we're proponents. That's why we support and believe in a prophetic culture here at The Awakening. Because we want people to hear from God. We want people to know God intimately. And this is a major avenue in which God does that. That's why I love the prophetic. Have you ever been on an outreach evangelism? Oh, my gosh. What a tool in the Lord. Hey, I don't really know you. It's like, yeah, man, no thanks. It's like, can I pray for that thing in your shoulder? How do you know about that thing in my shoulder? It's like, man, listen, I'm a son of God. God tells me stuff. Like, can I pray for you? It's like, okay, I'm listening, but I don't know. It's like, it's all good. You want your shoulder to feel better, right? It's like, I'm just going to pray that God, okay. You know, the prophetic is a key that unlocks, man, unlocks relationship, unlocks moments. It's, you know, don't hate the prophetic, you know. Don't, don't hate that. Don't go against God. Um, testimony. What time is it? Oh, nice. This is also probably going to be offensive. Uh, just disclaimer. So... Back in 2008, 2009, God was doing a bunch of very awesome things, was healing us, was bringing me and my friends through emotional healing, was also doing supernatural things that I in no way understood, uh, in every way was kind of against slash weirded out by. And I started asking my friends who had more experience with these things and who were trustworthy, I said, what's the craziest testimony? What's the craziest? Like, tell me something. And not like you heard. What's something you saw? What's something you were a part of? You just bona fide. And this total <laughs> amazing guy who's a total Holy Spirit guy, he said, man, his name's Mike Ellison. He's one of the Five Slam guys years and years ago. Before Five Slam threw 5,000-person parties, they threw like 500-person parties, <laughs> believe it or not, just in a terrible Pineview driveway. But Mike told me, he said, man, we were praying for this guy in, uh, in Atlanta a couple months back. And I was like, uh, okay. And he just keeps going on the story. And finally gets to the party. He says, well, this guy, you know, we're like praying for people. And he comes up and, you know, he's, he's only got like one leg. And I was like, oh, he's got one leg. And I was like, what's on the other leg? He's like, well, he's like cut off at the knee. He's got like a nub. And I was like, oh, man, that's crazy. He's like, well, we prayed and the leg grew out. And I was like, this is awkward. I don't think you're lying to me, but. That's, I can't believe that. He's, I was like, so I'm, I'm literally, I'm just trying to hide my, like, awkwardness. I was like, oh, what you mean? He's like, what do you think I mean? A leg grew out of his nub. And I was like, and he's just laughing about it. He's very jovial. He's like, yeah, man, that thing, it didn't even looked mangy at first. It was, I was like, well, I mean, I'm already awkward. You know, I'm already just feeling very awkward. I'm thinking, like, okay. I don't think you're a liar. I mean, I've done a, I've hung out with you a lot. We've worshiped together. We've spent time. We've talked. We've served. I know, I know your character. You're not lying to me. But it was just unbelievable. I could not believe it. Anyways, I finally, I finally gave in, and I just believed him. But I know, I know, you got to understand, I've never heard anything like that. You know, I've heard of maybe somebody walking out of a hospital bed, a medical miracle. But to pray for somebody and a, and a leg to grow out, I mean, that was off the chain. 
That was like to the 10th power, horrible, you know, for, for anything religious in me. That was horrible, right? So he's sharing that testimony. And I just like always had in the back of my head, if somebody would ever ask me like, man, what's the craziest like miracle? It's like, well, actually I had a buddy of mine who was praying for a guy to nub and leg grew out. I was like, I'm still working on believing it, but you know. Anyways, so a couple years later, this is this, that's probably 2009. Fast forward to probably 2012, 2013. One of my best friends, a guy named Braden Buckner, lives in Atlanta. And Braden, we and him were going on like just an absolute bromance trip up either Asheville or North Carolina or something. We were both single at the time. We are like, hey, let's go like, hang out, man. <laughs> no, girl, no girls want to date us right now. Like, <laughs> let's go me and you hang out for a weekend, baby. <laughs> and um, we're, uh, we're going somewhere on this, uh, on this trip. And he's like, come inside, man. Meet my roommates and hang out a little bit. They're cool. You'll like them. You know, they're believers and, you know, it's whatever. And uh, we're getting my stuff. And I'm walking to the door. And he's like, he's like hey, um, Remember that guy that Mike Ellison prayed four years ago? I was like, yeah, I mean, I can't forget that testimony. He's like, oh, he's my roommate. And I was just like, what? I am about to grill this guy for like 45 minutes. What? Anyway, so I go inside, and I meet this guy. And he's just a cool dude. He's down-to-earth guy. And I'm like, all right, man, I'm just going to come out with it. Are you the guy who had a leg grow out of your nub? He's like, Yes. I was like, shut up. I was like, you, this is real. He's, he's like, yeah, man, it's real. And I was like, dude, can I, honestly, man, can I, just, can I just be real honest and ask you some questions? Like, that has been this radical testimony in the back of my mind for years. And now I'm like meeting you. This is, this is of the Lord, man, I'm telling you. Maybe not for you, definitely for me. And so I'm like sitting there talking to him, and he's sharing. And all of a sudden, I realized something very strange about this experience. He had had a leg grow out, but right above the ankle bone. He didn't have an ankle or a foot. Now, this guy was like literally a champion rock climber, not in the, um, not in the handicap division. He had like a special thing. He strapped on him. He had pictures on his wall. He's, a be he's like the, the skinny guy who's like shredded. He's like, hey, you're like 70 pounds lighter than me, but you could totally kick my butt. <laughs> um, he was that guy. He was a rock climber to the core. And he had these posters and these pictures and these tournaments he'd been at. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. You still don't have a foot? Why, why would God do that? Now I'm even more offended. Wait, wait. So this is real. You're the guy who my friend prayed over. A leg grew out of his knee, and, and, but not to a foot? So he just extended your nub another 10 inches? It was offensive. I, I literally, I told him, because I was in just an honest state of mind. I said, you know, man, I, I really have a tough time with that. Why, why would God do that? And he looked me dead in the eyes, and he said, and it was, this is very, like, powerful moment. He's like, Jesse, it wasn't about the leg. And I, and I, I just remember asking, I don't even remember his name. I just remember, like, dude, how, how is it not about the leg? That's literally the most radical, creative miracle story that I know firsthand. How is it not about the leg? And he said, Jesse, in that moment, Father God poured his love out on me, and it saved my life. I remember thinking, you know, here I am as a Christ follower, as someone who, I didn't seek the supernatural. The supernatural found me, 
you know, I'm having to learn through this stuff and weed and what's, what's of the Lord, what's not, what's counterfeit, what's real, the whole nine yards. This, the craziest testimony I've ever heard, I meet the guy, God doesn't give him a foot, and I'm like, I'm, I'm pissed. I'm like, God, why would you not give this man a foot? Because in their legitimacy, the movements, the supernatural movements of God are a reflection. They're a manifestation of the character of God. God was so much more concerned with that boy knowing that he was loved than he was with a foot. God is after our hearts. The most rad testimony I know wasn't even about the testimony. God drenched that young man in his love and saved his life. And he knew the father. He knew he had a father right there. Couldn't have cared if he had another foot. That is why I love the prophetic. And that is why I love the supernatural. They can be messy at times, yes. But they reveal the heart and the character of God in a very true and pure way. Lastly, we'll close with this. One of the biggest problems why I think we as a church in the West have issues with the supernatural things of God is we have secularized. We took the secularness of our community and we put it on God. We have secularized the holy God. All right? Just in our culture, if you think about product and process, we are, as a culture, we are so much more concerned with what something does for me than what it does to me. All right? So I'm so much more concerned with the fact that I'm, Wendy's gives me, you know, I'm not knocking on Wendy's. I like Wendy's. But Wendy's gives me a burger. It also greatly contributes to poor health. Right? We, we want the product. We want the microwave quick fix. You know, and honestly, that's a lot of problems in the church that we have to, like, as believers, minister to and share with. Be like, hey, man, how can I get set free? I'm like, well, there's no formula, man. You just need to cry out to Jesus. I'm the walking testimony. If you cry out to Jesus, he'll deliver you from a place that's undeliverable. You know? They said they didn't go there, but he'll go there. All right? But there's no, like, formula. There's no quick fix. He is the fix. He became the fix. He is it, all right? Versus we don't, the process, you know? We, many people have been so crushed in the church by their leaders who have fallen. This is not an uncommon thing. It's a very, very common thing. A leader, a pastor, a youth leader, a, an uncle, a whoever, who they look to spiritually, it's all of a sudden revealed they're not who they said they were. And we, a lot of times, as, as young people in the church, we're crushed. We're crushed by it. And it's because we've looked for the character of God in men more than we've looked for the character of God in God. Don't trust the prophetic word as much as you trust the prophetic God. If I give you a word, take it home, pray about it, sit on it, think through it. Take it back to God. Take it back to the man. Don't, don't, I don't care who is praying for you. You know, like we as a culture have, have trusted in 
we've wanted to look quickly to a man or to a woman. When we have a king, we're, our generation, guys, most of this room in here is my generation. We run around looking for fathers. Will someone disciple me? Will someone teach me? Will someone mentor me? Please. We have this faux fatherlessness. We have a father. We have a father. I'm absolutely an advocate of discipleship and mentorship. I, I live my life. I do that. That's my calling. But we walk around like we're a fatherless generation. And we have a father. And so we get so disappointed when our pastors aren't as perfect as we pretended they were. We get so discouraged when our leaders in the faith have a, nor have a bad day. It's like, guys, we, we totally, I feel like we miss it. And it's, like, it's that same thing. We, we, we have so many hurdles to the supernatural, to the prophetic, to whatever, because as a culture, we look for the things of God to be perfectly represented in the things of men. And we are not. We are not that. We must know God. We must know him. If you have your relationship with God through your pastor, through your church, through your girlfriend, through your boyfriend, through your parents, it will fail you. I promise. You have to know him. When you know him, when you learn his character, like I said, that's why I can say, hey, anyone's been delivered, come forth. We're going to pray because I know him. I know the way he is. I know him. He has shown himself to me. He has shown me that he is faithful. He has shown me that he's a deliverer. He's a redeemer. You know, that concept of redeemer in scripture is crazy powerful. It's not just someone who comes and pays your penalty. They pay your penalty. They take you home to a land. They build the bridge to get there, and then they build your house on the land that they bought. It is like the ultimate show of extravagant love. That's what a redeemer is. That's where that concept's from. It's not just a penalty pay. It's more. And that's what God does in us, and I know that about him. I know him. I know he does that. That's why I want us to come forth. It's the same thing. Travis preached this message months ago on God doesn't have a, uh, a plan for your life. He has a purpose. It's the same thing. It's the same mentality that we as a culture have to break away from. We have to know him. We have to trust him and his character, not our perception of what he wants us to do, not if we heard correctly, God, did I choose this? God, did I choose that? Did I go there? Just trust God. Trust him. And if you don't know how to do that, then get around believers who know him and who trust him and learn how to trust God. At the end of the day, we, it's ultimately the lifeline of a Christ follower. It's the plumb line. Do you know him? Because if you know him, you trust him. I was sitting there thinking about all of our, uh, you know, why do, we, why do we obey God? You know, this is the, the slides from the sermon Travis preached months ago. And I love this so much. He said, people are waiting for a calling, but Jesus Christ has already given us commands. In that, God has 400 different ways to get you into your purpose. Purposes are found in obedience to Christ's commands. That was a good nugget, man. That was a good word. I read that going back over this. This is it. This is the whole, the whole crux. 
why would we obey Christ? Because if we find who we are in obeying him, if we find our purpose in obedience to Christ, well, why would we obey him? What motivates us to that? And this is what I thought. I just was this kind of stream of consciousness. This is not something I read somewhere. This has been literally my life experience. Because when you know him, it changes everything. His kindness will lead you to repentance. His goodness will cripple the worries of a day. His nearness comforts the tormented. His covering hides you in the secret place. His friendship is life-breathing. His beauty is breathtaking. To see him is to desire to know him. He responds to this desire with intimacy. All fruitfulness in your life is from this intimacy. That's John 15. And when you know him, when you learn his character, it teaches you to trust him. And that is what changes everything for a Christ follower. Do you trust God? If you don't trust God, I would say, I understand. But you should get to know him. Because when you know him, when you see him, when you learn the way he is, it builds trust in you into what he's going to do. And it gives you perspective in what's coming. Bad things come. You're like, you know the goodness of God. Stuff goes weird. Stuff gets hard. Relationships fail. But you've seen. You've seen him. You've known him. You know that he works all things together for the good of those who love him. It's no longer a scripture that you heard or something you heard a pastor teach you one time. You know it. You know it's him. You're like, no, he's worked a lot of things together for my good when there was no good available. We must know him because when we know him, we learn his character, and that teaches us to trust him. And that changes your walk with Christ when you trust where he's leading you. It's a total game changer. So is Blake still here? Oh, he's holding babies. Yeah, so if our ministry team will come forward, if anybody um, wants prayer this morning, or if you would uh, like a prophetic word, especially in light of the sermon, you know, I hope you come get a prophetic word. I hope you know more when you leave this house the reality of God and the reality that you're loved by that God. That's what I hope you know when you walk out of this house. We want to pray for you. Um, you can totally, if you have a tithe or an offering, um, you know, you can give in the box back there or you can text in a tithely. Um, but anyways, feel free to come. We're going to have ministry time. We're going to worship the Lord a bit more. Do you have something, Travis?